I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome to the special edition of the Royal Horticultural Society's podcast. Today we're talking about container gardening. I'm Lee Hunt, one of the RHS Gardening Advice team. Each year we answer questions from thousands of RHS members all around the country. We've received an intriguing range of problems from plant care, plant identification, pests and diseases, gardening design inquiries, growing your own fruit and vegetables and many more. Our team do our best to try and solve as many as possible. Container gardening is one of those subjects that the advice team receives many inquiries about. Containers enable you to grow on patios and balconies, in window boxes and hanging baskets. You can grow flowers, fruit, vegetables, shrubs. You can even create a small pond in a container. Plants in containers do require more care than those directly grown in the ground, and it's a subject that seems to confuse and worry many gardeners. What to grow? What growing medium or soil to use? How should they water and feed? But it needn't be difficult. So today we've gathered a group of RHS experts to go back to basics and discuss some of the essential do's and don'ts of growing flowers, fruit and vegetables in pots, hanging baskets, tubs, planters and even old baths. Uh, Round the table I've got our experts and uh, let's start over here. Hello, I'm Sigri Sharp and I work at RHS Garden Wisley on the edibles team. I'm Dr Hayley Jones and I'm an entomologist in the RHS plant health team. I'm Esther McMillan and I work in the advisory team. So to start off, what do we mean by container gardening? Uh, well, I mean anything that um, really has a hole drilled in the bottom that I can, I can put a plant or two in. So we're talking about something to hold soil? Yes, it, it hold, holds soil um, and um, it drains well. Uh, what were the sort of common things that people might use to, for these containers? What things might they dream up to? plant plants in well the i mean there's a current vogue for recycling isn't there and and vintage looks so anything that that um could be temporary for a season that you line like an old crate um or a hessian bag or a willow basket or things that are more permanent like posh terracotta pots we definitely go for posh terracotta pots at wisley (laughs) (laughs) and what are the advantages of growing in these containers Um, Well, for blueberries, for example, it's really great because um, if you don't have the right soil, then you can create the right soil with ericaceous compost. So that certainly opens out the range of things that you can grow in your garden. Um, But also I'm thinking about colour. Does it give other options for there as well? 
I think you can change your seasonal display so you can get an element of novelty. Um, you can also move pots around the garden. So in the spring, I have the ferns by my back door, but as it gets hotter through the season and that gets sunnier, I move them into a shady corner. A lot of people really focus on pots for two times of year, the, the spring and summer. Um, obviously, that's, I think, largely driven by going out there in the garden centre and seeing what's on sale. And it is that time of year, isn't it, where suddenly all those little pots of, of are out there to, to get. Um, should people be buying those plants now? And what should they be looking out for? Well, at the moment in the garden centres, there seems to be lots of small bulbs in pots. So that's for people who forgot to plant them in the autumn. But also people are looking ahead towards the towards the summer and uh, buying small plugs of tender plants. Um, it's a, a great way to start things off if you don't have a huge amount of facilities. So things like fuchsia cuttings or pelagonium seedlings or even trailing plants for pots like silver-leaved helichrysums or violet-flowered scaviolas, things like that. And um, of course, the great advantage of buying any fruit trees in pots is that you can really plant them any time of the year as opposed to if you've missed your bare root trees actually there's an opportunity for you. I've got lots of small plants growing in pots at the moment because my garden's not ready to plant things out but it's it's also things you can um, take with you if you move house um, so that that's the great advantage that um, you're like a little snail who carries your garden with you if you have containers. So that's great if you're a renter as well so you can get going get your garden uh, started wherever you live um, but a lot of people will face as well when they move in that there might be some concrete areas that they want to brighten up so it's a great way of where there's no soil putting a pot in and getting some additional color as well um talking about soil what are we going to plant into what what are the because you go to the garden center and there's this bewildering range and there's also the soil in your own garden so what do we actually use um well we use a mix of wisley compost and a peat-free growing media and Esther, for those people who can't get hold of Wisley Compost because they don't actually um, have it supplied to them directly, um, when they go to a garden centre, what should they look out for? I think it depends what they want to grow in the containers. So if they're growing something permanent, like a small tree, then I'd use a loam-based compost uh, because it's heavier and um, it retains its structure for longer. So what product that, would they look at? That's something for? like a John Innes compost. Um, but for seasonal containers, I just use a multi-purpose compost and I prefer to, to use peat-free. Right, well, I think we should deal with one of the questions about containers from Mr. Radcliffe from Norwich, one of our members. I bought my first flat on the first floor with a big sunny balcony. I'd like to grow some rosemary and some thyme in terracotta containers. It may be a silly question, but does it matter if the pots are glazed or unglazed, please? Right, what do we think here? Well, in, in my experience, glazed pots, um, they have that generally beautiful Mediterranean blues and greens colours. So they add that element to your um, to your plantings, which suits suits Mediterranean plants like rosemary and thyme. But if it's in a frosty spot, uh, I would be wary because they do tend to be less frost resistant than non-glazed pots. So they'll get flaking and the glaze may come off. 
Another common question, which is reflected from uh, Mrs. Smith's question from Birmingham, is to croc or not to croc? This is the question. Um, obviously, Esther's mentioned that we need a big hole. Um, so does it require a croc as well? Well, when you say croc, um, do you mean uh, pieces of old terracotta broken pots? I think that's one of the, the commonly used things isn't it because i think as described earlier sometimes you get bits of broken pot after the winter when they they pack up Um, (laughs) your expensive glazed pots yes (laughs) but i suppose it doesn't have to be a a literal crock does it no as as long as you've got something whether it's a piece of slate or uh, maybe broken polystyrene or something that covers the hole it allows water still to drain out but it provides a protection against all the compost draining out um then then that that would be fine. Um, I think a, a crock is very useful just to keep the compost from dribbling all over the patio mm. when you're actually trying to make it up because initially there's no roots to hold it together. I think the only thing I counsel against is putting in a thick layer in the bottom and this is sometimes reflected by a crock and then extra gravel because actually what you're doing is reducing the amount of compost in which the plants can grow. Um, most container plants um, quite quickly will fill the roots their roots around that compost ball so you're actually reducing the amount of resources that that plant will have long term Um, additionally i think people think it helps with drainage to put in a really thick layer but actually the the water tends to initially stick through water tension to the bottom of that compost layer so it's wet it's soggy and you're just making a, a basically less soil above that that's available for the roots to grow in happily um, because you've already reduced the, the amount of compost actually in the container. Mm-hmm. So I think what crock, decent as you're saying, over the whole, great, um, but don't go mad with the crocks. Thinking about people's problems more generally that they write to us about, um, there's these sort of general uh, care instruction things that people get confused with. So I'm thinking about things like watering, um, what should they do, how much should they do it, size of pots. Um, what sort of general tips could we give to people to help them with these? I think most people worry about the size of the pot um, and we always caution against putting a plant initially into too big a pot in case they create this idea as you were talking before about about a sump of wet compost and it rotting off but at the same time you don't want it to be too tight in the pot or else you'll be watering for England so we generally say if it's uh, one plant in a in a pot to to have perhaps an an inch all around um, filled with compost fresh compost I'm very much a fan of using your finger as well to find out whether it's wet enough or not. Um, Particularly with new plants, as you're describing, they're the ones pops at most at risk. So if you push your finger into the compost a good couple of inches, you'll find out whether it feels damp, dry or soggy. Certainly if it's the soggy extreme, I would leave it and maybe a day or two before checking again. Um, But when I do water, I give it a really good soak. So I put the, the watering can on it and make sure it runs out the bottom. Yeah, I think that's the thing as well. If a pot gets too dry, the compost shrinks away from the edge, doesn't it? So when you do start watering, um, the first a few litres at least just goes straight down the sides. So re-wetting a pot can be quite hard if it gets too dry. 
And then as the plants get more established, and this it doesn't matter whether it's a shrub or summer plants, um, they will use more water. And also the weather mm. will be warmer in summer. Mm. Um, so that's when I often find out that they dry quite quickly through the day and putting a saucer underneath it to act as a reservoir is then very useful. Mm. Now you've got all the plants in, they're growing really well. And then the pests start to invade. So we've invited um, Haley along to talk us through uh, some of the common things that you like to see and perhaps can avoid their munchings. Uh, so Haley, what might you find in containers that cause problems? So there's a few problems that often come up with containers. Uh, one of the main things is that once uh, a population of anything gets eaten, because they're in quite a confined space with just a couple of plants to feed on, they can do a lot of damage. And if their numbers build up higher, they can just wipe out plants that they might not be able to in the open ground. Um, and the big one for this is vine weevil. So vine weevil larvae um, will live in the compost and they will nibble on the plant roots and they can just completely eat them away vine weevils you might see the damage from the adults which is little um notching in the leaves but and the adults are kind of small uh browny speckledy beetles with long noses like many weevils um but it's the larvae that really do the damage um they're they're small creamy c-shaped um creatures with brown heads um, so they can live in the pots all year round. They don't become very inactive in the winter. Um, but the best time to treat them, if you do have an infestation of vine weevil, is in the late summer or early autumn. Um, and at this time, you can drench the soil. You can either use a nematode biocontrol, um, which contains the species Steinonema krausii, um, or you can use an acetamiprid um, pesticide drench. It's important to do the treatment in the autumn because this is the time when the larvae will be um, most susceptible the treatments will work best on this life stage so you might have to watch the damage carrying on throughout the summer and treat afterwards how did the vine weevil get into the pots in the first place well the adult vine weevils um they can't fly but they are quite mobile so they can simply climb up and if um and the it's interesting actually that adult vine weevils are all female and they don't need to mate to reproduce so once one female gets in the pot she can lay a whole load of eggs and that's it you've got a new population set up and things like pot feet they would they help at all to lift it up so make it more difficult for them probably to get not no they're quite mobile little beetles so there's not much you could do to prevent them getting in and as well as fine weave what else might people see through the season so the other thing that's active all year round is slugs um, and actually pots can be um, good at preventing them getting in because it's quite a long distance that the, the slugs and the snails have to travel to actually get to the plants. Um, but once they do get in, then you can have a problem. They can eat a lot of the plant. Um, pots are quite well uh, set up to use barriers to them getting in in the first place. So this could be... Um, copper copper tape applied around the edge of the pot um, that slugs and snails don't generally like to cross or it could be a mulch uh, inside the rim of the pot um, things like wool um, there's not that much evidence of how well these different mulches work but there's lots of different products available um, it might be a case of testing out what works in your garden so a really good way of 
trying to grow things that are often more eaten by slugs and snails as well so things like hostas it's often something that gets grown in a container when you don't want to do so much slug control in the garden yes definitely Uh, and similarly within a pot you've got a kind of very controlled area if you do then need to go in um, with a nematode or slug pellet treatment if you have got a problem it's a much more constrained area that you have to treat what about bigger things Okay, so if you've got, um, you know, a new pot and you've just planted some some beautiful bulbs that you're hoping will grow very soon, that new planting is going to be very susceptible to squirrels. Squirrels are very inquisitive and they love to eat bulbs, um, particular kinds of ones that you might be planting in pots in the spring. Um, so one of the ways to overcome this is to make sure that your soil is well firmed down. Um, and if possible, this might sound strange, just try and hide the evidence that you've done anything because squirrels are particularly inquisitive and so if they see that you've been burying something that might be tasty they will come and dig it up and have a look at it even if they don't eat it in the end yeah i'd put some chicken mesh over them and wire it down and sometimes people report to us this rather odd phenomenon of finding the odd egg in their containers um, it seems rather unlikely but what could it be what might it be well, it's difficult to be sure. Um, I would possibly point the finger at the squirrels because, again, they like, they're like they very inquisitive and they're very kind of mischievous if that's not anthropomorphising them too much. And so they might just be hiding things um, in, and it seems like a convenient hiding spot inside a pot under a plant. I have a bit of a problem with um, root aphid on mint Root aphids can often be a problem, um, especially in containers. They can build up to quite high numbers. They're they're very hard to treat. Um, you can try taking the plant out and cleaning as much of the compost off as possible um, to get rid of some of them and repotting in fresh compost. Um, but really, the only kind of treatment that that's really likely to get their numbers down um, is an acetamiprid drench so this is a systemic insecticide that will be absorbed by the plants and then as the um, aphids or mealybugs feed on the roots then they will take it into them this is that's the only real reliable way of getting rid of them and would that be safe if you wanted to eat the mint later so the acetamiprid treatments you'd have to read the packaging some of the products will be uh, suitable for use on edible plants and then if they are they'll say so and they'll say how much time you have to leave between application and harvest but definitely read the label if you're going to be applying pesticides to anything edible we have a question uh, by email from Helen Stack on the pest and disease issues. Um, so for the past two years, I've had an infestation of mealybugs on my Phalaenopsis orchids, and I want to get rid of them. I've been spraying the whole plants with 50% acetone and 50% water mixture, but the creatures still keep appearing. What should I do to get rid of them completely? Okay, well, I wouldn't necessarily recommend any kind of acetone mixture. If you're going to be spraying anything that um, you expect to have uh, an activity killing insects, it has to be registered as a pesticide and have gone through the relevant safety checks. So there are a lot of products out there um, based on lots of different active ingredients, some of which are certified as organic. Um, There's some that work more on a mechanical, physical method. Um, They're made of soap-like substances and they kind of gum the insects up um, and kill them in that way. And those are certified um, organic. Um, Or there's contact action insecticides 
based on thing uh, based on things like pyrethrins um, and those will work if applied very thoroughly to the insects um, or you can get systemic insecticides which is the kind of the more serious option that will be absorbed by the plant and then the insects as they feed so there's lots of registered products out there and um, what about a little pointy stick because often people want another method of controlling them as well that's not chemical based yes for something like mealybugs which are often often highly visible then your first bet is going to be to scrub them off if you can get as many of them as possible and see if you can keep their numbers down that way and get in those nooks and crannies with my cocktail sticks we're very dedicated <laughs> i think persistence is often very worthwhile with mealybugs as well as yeah. to make bring them back under control and i'd suggest also not looking on the plant but also under the rim of the pot mm. um, because often they hide in there when you're not looking yes little hideouts. creep back out once you've con- done the control on the plant containers don't have to be just ornamental they can be productive too pots and hanging baskets are great for growing all manner of fruit herbs and vegetables in allowing people with smaller gardens or no gardens their chance to grow uh, Sigrid from your experience at Wisley what grows really well in a container of any sort we have started growing a range of um, these patio fruit, um, which have done really well. I mean, this just in their third year, just this season gone, and um, there were pears and loads of peaches. We had to do loads of thinning um, on on the little peach. Um, that was Frutoni Diamond um, was the peach. Um, We've got a little cherry, um, and pears and apples, and they're in, you know, really quite small pots at the moment because they're small plants, but they are being productive in their third year. You buy them as two-year-old plants, so they've got a bit of a head start. And what about strawberries? Because that's an old favourite, isn't it? Most of our strawberry collection is in raised beds, um, but we do grow some in those traditional strawberry pots, um, and... Um, we certainly have found that um, as far as the slugs go, they are the, the slug damage on, in the raised beds is definitely more than in the pots. It's interesting because um, the terracotta itself can be quite a good barrier to slugs and snails. Like, it, you know, it's not foolproof, but it's definitely less, uh, less appealing to them to cross to get to their food than it would be just to cross a damp wood barrier. Um, and also there's the distance. So they might not necessarily know that there's tasty strawberries up there because of the distance provided by having to go up the side of a pot. Well, that's nearly all we've got time for. But we've just got one last question from Hazelmere by email. How can I tell when my plants in containers need repotting? I'm worried about damaging them when I pull them out. Right, well, when are plants ready for repotting? When do they need it? Um, Esther? If they're plants that you're hoping to keep year on year, they're ready to repot when you see the roots coming out of the bottom hole. How how you do that uh, depends really on what kind of pot you've got. Um, I'm not a fan of Alibaba-shaped pots, you know, the ones that um, flare out and then inwards because the neck of the pot is narrower um, than its belly. So they're always quite a struggle and you will damage plants trying to get them out of those sorts of pots. And once you've got it out, um, should you tease out the roots or should you be very careful and preserve them all? What's the approach? I think it depends on the plant. Um, If it's something like a bay tree or a fig, 
um, I would have no qualms about getting an old saw to the root ball and sawing down maybe about an inch off all around. That's a really good way of keeping a plant that's quite big in already quite a big container in the same container, but then actually replacing some of that compost as well because um, the compost gets old, it gets tired. We think of compost as being fairly stable but actually itself it composts down further and becomes more airless and not so good Um, so that's a way of actually adding more around and when you're doing this process are you likely to come across anything and that's living in there so pests for example halium what should you do about them yes so when repotting it is an ideal time to um, have a look at what's going in and going on in the root system um this is ideal time to look for um vine weevil larvae um if you can take off most of your old compost before repotting um that will get rid of any slugs or anything else that might be living in there um yeah it's good good chance to have a, a bit of an overhaul and checkup is there anything that shouldn't be repotted or is not worth it I think if you've got seasonal displays of of, uh, summer bedding, um, you need to decide if you're keeping anything, propagating anything for next year, or you want to completely um, change the pot. So come autumn, you'll use that pot for putting uh, tulip bulbs, etc. in uh, for the the coming spring. So yes, uh, tender seasonal bedding plants, they're the sort of things that you need to make a decision on. So they go in, say, early summer, and then they're done by late autumn. We don't need to worry about them. So that's kind of one of their advantages. But also we're having to do that twice a year. So one of their disadvantages as well. Yes, not very sustainable. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming here and sharing your knowledge today on container plants. You can find more information about growing containers on the RHS website at rhs.org.uk. Go out and create wonderful plants and planters for the year ahead. That's what we'd love to see. And don't forget, if you're planting a container, it could be one of your pledges for greening grey Britain. So go online at rhs.org.uk forward slash ggb and tell us that you've done something amazing. Until the next time, from me, Lee Hunt, and all the RHS Gardening Podcast team, goodbye. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, 
you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.